0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the goal line podcast. I'm your host Patrick Seifer, also known as no huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is no huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces. This was far and away. The best. Week of the NFL season so far. It was great. I mean, where do I even start right now? Of course, you had. A bad game to start the week, right? That Panthers game against the Falcons wasn't overly good. And that Seahawks game against the Buccaneers, that was pretty good. But it really got going. The week really got going when that Vikings and Bills game happened. That was crazy. That was crazy. I mean, that was one of the best games In a while. Okay. One of the best regular season games in a while. For sure. So unpredictable. How that game played out. And it was amazing. It was amazing to watch. Super fun game to watch. And then of course you got. On. Monday night. Washington. Ended. The Eagles undefeated season. That was also. Crazy. An. Not quite as, you know, down to the wire as that Eagles game. But it was also very good. Or sorry, not quite as down to the wire as that Bills game. But it was also very, very interesting to watch. And of course, because of the narrative surrounding it, it was very important for both teams. Then we have the Colts with their interim head coach getting a win. Over the Raiders, that game also came down to the last couple seconds. Overall, just a great week of football. A very, very good week. Even that Bears game against the Lions, these are two teams not many people consider too relevant, and they're really not. But it was still a great game to watch in a vacuum, even though it doesn't have a huge impact on anything. Still, great game. Overall, this was the best week of football in terms of entertainment, I would say. So far this season. This episode isn't going to be as long as the past two. Because I don't have a guest on, first off. And second off, I need to sleep. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, So I'm going to try and get this episode done decently, quickly. I'm hoping it'll end up around 40 minutes-ish. So let's start with the rapid-fire takeaways right now. Danta Foreman. In this Panthers game. Against the Falcons. Primetime. Thursday night. He is continuing to prove. That he is a very, very good running back. And you got to feel for Chuba Hubbard. Because when he comes back from that injury. He is not going to have a role. Because Foreman is just so damn good. Against the Falcons. Which I know the Falcons aren't a very good defense. Still though. Against the Falcons, he had 31 carries for 130 yards. That's a great performance. And with performances like this, you begin to wonder, why the hell wasn't he getting any carries on the Titans? Until Henry went down. And I know that Henry is a great running back. But Foreman is like a, another Derrick Henry. Now, he's not quite Derrick Henry, but he's very good. and he runs it in a very similar way. You know, if the Titans wanted to keep Derrick Henry at 100%, keep him healthy, they should have kept the dude. Or at least just gave Foreman more carries. Just so you don't have to, you know, kill him with all this volume. Because it wasn't necessary. It was completely unnecessary. Considering that they had another great running back like Foreman. It was unnecessary to give Henry all those carries, and seeing how good Foreman is makes it seem like that Christian McCaffrey trade was huge for them. It was, it wasn't just oh, they got a bunch of draft capital, but they had to give up their best offensive player, and he is still their best, or he still would be his best, their best offensive player. But the drop-off between CMC and Dante Foreman isn't as major as we all thought that it would be. They still have a good running game, despite McCaffrey being gone. That's because Foreman is just so damn good. And it's great this guy got off the bench. I'm super happy this guy got off the bench. Now let's talk about another breakout running back in the uh, in the NFC South. Rashad White, in this Germany game against the Seahawks. And I know the Seahawks' run defense isn't too good. It isn't a great unit. But let's give the Buccaneers their credit, because this season, their running game has been historically bad. Like, it all-time worst run offenses of all time. It's It's been in that discussion of one of the best rushing offenses ever. And that's never good, obviously. So even when they play against a team with not the greatest run defense, you still expect the Buccaneers to get nothing done on the ground. And that's because, well, their rushing offense has been horrible all year. But now Rashad White comes in. He starts to get the bulk of the carries, and this rushing offense lights it up. Now Brady has a balanced attack. And, well, we all saw with the Patriots what Brady was able to do. Even without the greatest rushing attack, as long as he had a solid one, he was able to play so much off of that. Rashad White had 22 carries for 105 yards. If he continues to be just a solid runner, not a great runner, just a solid runner, get a consistent, you know, four yards per carry, the Buccaneers offense is going to be so much better because Brady will be able to go with play action and stuff like that, and it will really just overall help the offense. They're not going to be as predictable. They're not going to have to throw the ball 60 times a game and when they do throw it, teams will still be worried about the run, too. So they can't completely commit all their guys to coverage. They won't show their hand as much. The Buccaneers with Rashad White. Th- this is the X factor this team needed, really. Rashad White is the, you know, key player that's going to kind of chart cause a shift in how this Buccaneers offense is ran. And that's great. They needed that because this Buccaneers offense has been very, very disappointing this year. Now, let's talk about an offense that has only exceeded expectations, the Dolphins. And I know this is something we kind of knew for a while, but I think this game against the Browns, even though it's a bad defense, officially just solidified them as one of the league's top offenses. And not just like, oh, top ten. No, I'm talking like top three. Maybe they're the best. They probably are the best, actually. I would say that they're the best. This Dolphins offense, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. McDaniel did a very good job establishing a scheme in which Tua Valoa could succeed. They're finding ways to use Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and Alec Ingold and even Mike Gasicki. Huge, man. This offense is practically unstoppable. They look amazing. Tua isn't turning the ball over, and he's consistently putting the ball in the right place for the playmakers like Tyreek Hill, like Jalen Waddle, to make plays. And now they got... A little bit of a rushing attack going on with Jeff Wilson there and Raheem Mostert still has a decent role. The offensive line may not be an incredible unit, but it's good enough. The defense is a little bit more what worries me, but even that's probably a bit above average. Listen, this Dolphins team, very scary. I feel like at the moment they're pretty underrated despite... The fact everyone knows their offense is one of the league's most explosive, despite not having a quarterback with a huge arm. Dolphins are a very good team, and a lot of that goes to Mike McDaniel. Let's talk about that Steelers game against the Saints. And it's hard for me to say this for sure, because it's only been one week with the guy back. But T.J. Watt makes the Steelers' defense 10 times better. Even with Minka Fitzpatrick gone, that defense played one of, if not its best game. Really did it. It played great. Great. Incredible. Okay? And, yeah, I know the Saints aren't an amazing offense. I get that. But still, holding any NFL team to 10 points is a big accomplishment. T.J. Watt's a big reason why they were able to do that. Now, he didn't have four sacks or anything. But he got pressure on the quarterback consistently. And the Saints were worried about him. You could tell. I was watching on the All-22. A lot of the offensive line's attention went towards T.J. Watt because they got to keep double-teaming him. Because it's easy to forget because of how long he's been injured. But he is one of the best defensive players in this league. Having him back is huge, man. And then once Minka comes back too, oh my God. Now, the offense is still a problem, right? The Steelers' offense is not very good, but this defense is an amazing unit. Or so it should be. Let's see if they can keep this up. It's only one week with TJ Watt back, but it it was a very impressive showing from him. Now let's talk about the Broncos and the fact that, despite a bye week, they didn't fix anything. This Titans game against the Broncos was definitely the low point of this week, for sure. The game sucked. The game was horrendous. The game was horrendous. Two teams that couldn't do anything offensively, but the Broncos were the worst offense. I, I I'm just still just shocked because the the Broncos have talent offensively. Even with Jerry Judy injured, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler's there, Russell Wilson, the offensive line's pretty good. Yeah, you know the running back room isn't anything too special with Javante Williams out, but they have other pieces. Greg Dulcich, Greg Dolchik? Dolchik. I'm calling him Greg D, okay? I'm not very good with the pronunciation of that name. He's been a pretty good role player for the team since he returned from injury. Overall, they have a lot of pieces. And again, they're paying Russell Wilson so much money. Even if he didn't have pieces, he should still be able to make plays. After a, I really thought this bye week they were going to fix stuff up. Clearly not. It Didn't end up happening. The Broncos, man, that was a bad game. A very, very bad game. Their defense is good. Their defense is amazing. We know this. But it doesn't matter because their offense is incompetent. It's one of, if not the worst in the league. And with this much talent, that shouldn't be happening. Now, let's talk about that Giants game, which was a bit too close for Giants fans liking. But even though the Giants won, it's hard to look at that game and say, oh, yeah, that was a good win for them because it, it wasn't it simply wasn't like I just said, it was too close. My takeaway for this game against the Texans, which, again, was way too close, the Giants offense is actually incapable of scoring more than thirty points in a game. If you can't do it against the Houston Texans, you're not gonna be doing it be capable of doing it all year. It's not like, oh, this was just that one game. No. All year they haven't scored more than thirty points. When they get into the playoffs, that's not gonna fly. They might win one week. They're not winning two. Teams like the Eagles teams like the Vikings kind of just going to steamroll them because yeah, their defense will get a stop now. And then the offense just can't keep up. It's not because of dabble or anyone on the team right now. The problem is that they just lack wide receivers, lack talented receivers. And, you know, that's fixable after, you know, going into 2023 going into the 2023 NFL season. I know it's a bit early to talk about this. The Giants are going to have some big-name receiver, whether they get them through the draft or through a trade, I don't know, or even free agency. We don't know. But they're going to bring someone in. And if that player is very good, the Giants become a very, very good team, a very real threat because that's their problem right now. It's not Daniel Jones. It's not the offensive line. It's not the coaching. No. Their receivers are horrendous. Horrendous. And because of that, the Giants offense is, again, seemingly incapable of scoring above 30 points in a game. And in the playoffs, that isn't flying. Now, let's talk about this Chiefs offense. And the fact that they may not have Tyreek Hill. But, like I said during the offseason, what they lack in quality, they make up for in quantity. They just have so many good players here. They have their superstar, Travis Kelsey. I'm mainly talking about the offensive weapons here. They have their superstar player, Travis Kelsey. After that, they don't have, like, another stud. But they do have loads of role players, right? Start with the running backs. Jarek McKinnon, Isaiah Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, all those guys have a role. No, Pacheco is more of like the power guy. Edwards-Hilaire, he's the better receiving back. And McKinnon is similar to Hilaire, but he's seemingly better after the catch, I want to say. Or he can make people miss after the catch a bit more. Then at receiver, oh my God, you got Juju Smith, Schuster, who went down, but still good player. And, you know, he's the guy who'll catch the curl route across the middle of the field, and he's just like a tough guy. He's a tough receiver. He'll take a hit. Nicole Hardman and Canaries Tony, extremely similar. Extremely similar. They're the speedy guys that could run solid routes. And when they get the ball, they'll make people miss. For sure. Those are two players that are extremely similar. Then you also got Marquez Valdez-Scantling. That is a very good deep threat for this team. Now, again, he's no Tyreek Hill. But he'll make the big play when it's necessary. They also brought in Sky Moore in the draft. He's done very little at this point, but he might establish a role at some point during the year. Then, like I said, Travis Kelsey and the backup tight end Noah Gray. He caught a touchdown. Not to mention, I I just remembered... In terms of running backs, I didn't mention Ronald Jones, who has kind of been a non-factor this season, but he's definitely not an irrelevant player. Good depth piece. Point is, Mahomes has all these guys, right? Yeah, he might not have a Tyreek Hill, but he has all these other role players that can do at least one thing very well. That's why this offense is so hard to beat. Because maybe you match up well against Juju. Maybe you have corners that could stop him. Maybe you have other corners that could stop Nicole Hardman and Kadarius Toney. Maybe you have other, you know, linebackers that are going to be good at stopping Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But what about when they come at you with Isaiah Pacheco, who's the opposite of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? And then Marquez valdez Scantling, who's going to beat you deep. You know, their personnel... They all have their own specialty. And not many defenses defenses have these guys that could cover all these different skill sets. And even if you do, no one in the league can really cover Travis Kelsey. Let's be honest. He's so much of a matchup nightmare. If you have the personnel to cover all those different guys, it's unlikely that you also have the personnel to... who cover this superstar, Travis Kelsey. And even if you do cover all them well, doesn't matter. Mahomes is just that good. The Chiefs offense, man. And again, it's not just, oh, they have all these different players that could do different things very well. No, they have all these players that could do things very well, and then they have an offensive mastermind in Andy Reid that can utilize these guys to the their absolute max potential. The Chiefs, man, they're they're a threatening offense, like expected. Now let me continue to hate on my boy Justin Fields, right? Those of you that listen to the podcast often know I'm not a big Justin Fields guy. Even though everyone and their mother is praising him right now, I disagree. In this game, although it showed the good stuff that Fields can do, it also showed some of the bad. And I'm not just talking about that pick. No. I'm talking about when there was a minute left, right, in a game where, yeah, you know, they still scored 30 points. There was a minute left. They were down one. We're Two minutes left, about two minutes left, and they were down one. They needed a touchdown drive. And Justin Fields, he had to beat Detroit's very weak defense with his arm. Did he do it? No. They lost that game because they couldn't convert on that drive. And because their defense severely underperformed, sure. But still, Fields was a quarterback that a team basically spent two first round picks in order to get when that's how much a team gives up for you. You have to be able to win the team games, even when the defense underperforms So in fields, you know, he made an amazing run and he did all that. Cool. The team still scored 30 points. And that's great. And I know his supporting cast isn't great, but again, I don't care how well you can run as a quarterback if you can't make that crucial drive with your arm with two minutes left. And he couldn't against a very weak defense. He's not a good pocket passer at this point. He's not inaccurate, but a lot of the skills that you want from an NFL quarterback mentally, he doesn't have pocket awareness. The, internal clock so you know when to throw the ball away or just when to throw the ball up fields doesn't have that and that this stuff showed in that drive or in that failed attempt at a drive right there's a play that a lot of people are reposting where justin fields breaks i want to say three sacks maybe it's four sacks right and it's in that last minute drive and the caption is always get this man an offensive line. Get Justin Fields an offensive line. He has a clean pocket for a decent amount of time in that play. He does. I want to say about like three and a half seconds. He reaches the bottom of his drop back and still doesn't throw the ball and still holds it for another second after that. Right. And he just keeps holding the ball. It's not the offensive line allowing him to get sacked, really. It's him holding the ball too long, and that leads to him almost getting sacked or defenders getting their hands on him and then him breaking the sacks, and then eventually someone brings him down. Fields, as a quarterback that this team gave up so much in order to get, When his team has those good blocks, right? I'm not going to blame him when a defender just gets off unblocked and gets right to him. I'm not going to blame him for that. But when he does have an opportunity, when there is a clean pocket, he has to make a play. He has to. And he hasn't. He doesn't often, at least. And that's my problem with him. He can't operate in structure or at least he's failed to up to this point. And that's why the Bears lost this game. It's because of Fields' one-dimensional play style. Now, let's talk about what most people... No. All people would consider game of the year so far. This Vikings game against the Bills, oh my God, this was absolutely insane. And, you know, I could make the takeaway, Justin Fields is the best receiver in the NFL, and this solidified that. And I don't think that's a wrong take. I don't know if it's a take that I agree with. It's really close between him and Tyreek Hill. But I do think that that's a useless take. The entire best receiver in the NFL take or debate is stupid to me because what the Dolphins ask Tyreek Hill to do is different from what the Vikings ask Justin Jefferson to do. And what I value in a receiver might be more one-sided to one of those two receivers you know if i value you know ball skills and route running and ability to make these spectacular catches i'm going justin jefferson all day but if i'm valuing run after catch ability just overall big play ability speed i'm going Tyreek Hill. You know? So it depends on what you value. So not only do I think that debate's stupid, I also think that there's no use to that debate. You know? Oh, cool. Justin Jefferson is the best receiver in the league. No, let's talk about what makes Justin Jefferson good and how it is problematic for defenses. At least that's how I see it. You know, if you want to make those positional debates feel free, but I'm, I've never been a big fan. I never really have been a fan of those debates. Oh, who's better? Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen? No, they're both very good. They're both very good at different stuff. Instead, my takeaway is about the bills and it's actually pretty positive. Everyone's shitting on the Bills for this loss, and I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. I, instead, have a positive takeaway for the Bills. I put that the fact that the Bills almost won this game, despite all their mistakes, is exactly why they can easily win a Super Bowl this year. They just need to get their shit together. They had two red zone interceptions, one of which were in halftime. Sorry, they threw two red zone interceptions. One of two were in halftime. They had a fumble on their own one-yard line in a situation in which any play that wasn't a negative yardage game would have won them the game. And their defense was also injured. They had a couple of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Yet they still almost beat this Vikings team that is, without a doubt, one of the best in the NFL. And a lot of people are saying is the best in the NFL. Now, I disagree with those people. But it's a damn good Vikings team. The fact that the Bills almost beat them, despite all these mistakes, is exactly why the Bills are so scary. They are playing imperfect football and still beating, or almost beating, some of the best teams in the NFL. They aren't fully healthy. Josh Allen, their best player, isn't fully healthy. And it showed. The Bills are still a damn good team. And I cannot believe the disrespect I'm seeing people give to them. I cannot Now let's talk about the Cardinals game, specifically the receiver core. My takeaway here is that the Cardinals have one of the best receiver cores in the NFL, like probably top two. I mean, like top three receivers when I say receiver core. DeAndre Hopkins played great, played great, great, great. And he has been since he returned from the suspension. Rondell Moore had a hell of a game. That, that one-handed catch he made, oh my God. That was crazy. And now Marquise Brown is coming back. How are teams going to stop this receiver core? All these guys are capable of going for 150 yards or more every week. And think Kyler Murray is going to be throwing in the ball. Listen, man, if they had a better offensive coordinator this team is unstoppable, unstoppable. They would have the top offense in the league if they had a better offensive coordinator and a better offensive line. But because they don't, well, we're forced to look at this receiver core that is absolutely stacked. Watch them have amazing numbers. Watch them repeatedly make amazing catches just for them to still lose and just be underutilized and just wonder to ourselves, what if? Still, though, this receiver core is not something to scoff at, okay? Even though the talent isn't going to great use, they're still super, super good with a great quarterback throwing them the ball in Kyler Murray, or great in terms of physical talent. In fact, they make Colt McCoy look amazing in this game. Even with Zach Ertz gone, this offense is dangerous. Because Trey McBride, he was the first tight end taken in the draft, I believe, for good reason. I mean, he's a good player. So, yeah, this receiver core, Rondell Moore especially had a breakout game, and no one's talking about it. The fact that they just have that three-headed monster Marquise Brown, Rondell Moore, and DeAndre Hopkins— I mean it's tough. They're they're a tough team to beat. They're gonna be a tough team to beat. At least a tough team to stop from scoring. They're not gonna be necessarily the toughest team to beat because their defense is round average and their O line isn't great. The run game is pretty shitty actually. But the receiver core, that's such just that's just such a dominant strength for them. It's gonna be difficult to count them out of any game. Let's talk about this Colts game. Where interim head coach Jeff Saturday, who I still don't think deserved a head coaching job, beat a even worse head coach in Josh McDaniels. And let me let me just say this. Some people are already saying, Oh, the Colts were right to hire Saturday. But let's not forget interim head coaches almost always win their first week. Almost always. So it's not giving too much credit yet. It's tough to beat a team. When you have no idea what they're going to come out with. In fact, they made a quarterback change just before the game. Not the Raiders fault. Not at all. Well, all right. I don't want to say not at all because the Raiders did play a shitty game. But still. The the Raiders had no idea what to expect. No idea. So let's, let's give them a grain of salt here. They are still a bad football team. Josh McDaniels is still a dog shit head coach. But still, let's give them just a grain of salt on this one. But my takeaway is this. Although I'm not sold on Saturday. Jonathan Taylor might be back. And it probably is because of Jeff Saturday being there. Because he, he was an offensive lineman. He was a Hall of Fame center. You know, so there there's probably a correlation there, most likely, and he's willing to pound the rock with Jonathan Taylor. That's the type of football he wants to play. I, I imagine there's a correlation there. I think Jonathan Taylor will continue to play like this. So fantasy owners that felt like they wasted the first overall pick. Hey, at least a reason for some slight optimism. And we are back. You're listening to the Go Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer. And I am going to try and make this segment decently quick, but I'm not going to try and rush it too much. I want to give good reasoning for all these picks that I have. This upcoming week doesn't seem like it's going to be anything too special. Like I don't see many upset opportunities here, I'm going to be honest. But there's a fair share of good games here, so let's talk about it starting with a a game I think is going to be pretty damn good. Tomorrow, the Titans are playing against the Green Bay Packers. Give me the Packers here. It's in Lambeau. That's a big part of why I have Green Bay. It's going to come down to if Christian Watson repeats the type of week he had against a very good Dallas defense last week. I'm not expecting three touchdowns, but if he could continue to be like an established wide receiver one that could consistently get open, yeah, give me Green Bay. He's going to add an element to this defense, or sorry, to this offense that the offense just hasn't had all year, and that's part of the reason they've sucked. He's going to be the big play guy. I said – It would be nice for him to be able to get consistently open, but that's not really what he does. That's not really what he did against Dallas. He just made big plays. He got open deep down the field on occasions, and every time that happened, Green Bay scored. They need that. They need to have a long touchdown or two. Even if it's not Christian Watson, they just need to have it because Tennessee, they don't have offensive weapons other than Derrick Henry. Their wide receivers suck. If Green Bay can get into the end zone four times, they win. Okay? Derrick Henry might have a very good night, but even then, he's not scoring more than three touchdowns. Okay? It's just not happening. And I don't have any faith in anyone else on Tennessee to score. So, out of confidence in Green Bay's offense and the fact it's in Lambeau, I'm going with Green Bay. Panthers against the Ravens in Baltimore. I have next to no clue how the Panthers would win this game. With Baker Mayfield at quarterback, I don't think so. I'm going with the Ravens. That Ravens defense is nothing to scoff at anymore now that they have Roquan Smith. He's been big for them, or at least he was big for them the first week. And now we're seeing him off a bye. They got more time to, you know, kind of establish what they want to do with the guy. I'm excited to see how he is in this defense now because they had time during a bye week to create new plays, new blitzes, new different coverages that take advantage of, Ro- of Roquan Smith's amazing skill set. Now let's talk about Roquan Smith's former team playing as the Falcons. This should be a very good game. Give me the Bears. Even though the game's in Atlanta, I'm taking the Bears and I can't believe I'm saying this, Justin Fields is actually going to be the reason. And I know I'm the big Justin Fields hater, but I don't think the Falcons have the personnel to stop Fields from rushing the ball. Even though he's not a very good thrower, I don't think he needs to be in this game. The Falcons aren't very good, okay? And I don't think the Falcons are going to be able to score a lot. And that's kind of what they're going to have to do because the Bears offense has been very good since they started running the ball a lot with Justin Fields. The problem remains if the game is tight at the end and they need Fields to win the game with his arm, the Falcons are going to win. But that's I don't see that happening. I think Chicago wins this because they're going to get off to an early lead and the Falcons aren't really going to be able to play from behind. Browns at Bills. Give me the Bills. Give me the Bills. Okay, give me the Bills. I know that the Bills have actually struggled uh, in terms of run defense, so this could be a, an upset. It's an it's upset. Watch a little bit, okay? I'm going to be honest. You know, Josh Allen hasn't been playing well. That's a big part of this. And like I said, the Bills' run defense underperforming. Nick Chubb could have a field day here. But, but, the Browns' defense is shit, okay? It is bad. I think Stephon Diggs is also going to have a field day. This is going to be a high-scoring game, I think, though. I'm taking the Bills, though. I'm taking the Bills. Although, upset watch, for sure. Lions and Giants, this is another game I have on upset watch, for sure. But give me the Giants still, all right? I'm sorry. I know it's a bit of a boring pick. The Giants aren't too capable of scoring a lot. That's why I have it on upset watch. Because, like I said, the Giants can't score much. But I have faith in this Giants' defense. I do. Even though Detroit isn't the most scary offense, they're definitely capable of making plays. Definitely. And if you're only scoring, I'm going to say 24 points, like the Giants probably are in this game, it's going to be tight. It's going to be tight, but I think the Giants just barely make it out of this one alive. I really do. I know the Lions defense is bad. I know. But the Giants offense isn't too good either. It really isn't. It really isn't. And because of that, They're not going to be able to capitalize much on that weak Detroit defense. It's going to come down to Detroit's offense versus the Giants' defense. And while I think Detroit is going to win that a little bit, I don't think it's going to be quite enough. Then another very interesting game, Rams versus Saints. I'm taking the Saints. The Rams are just too banged up. And the thing that sucks is that all their banged up players are their superstars. Cooper Cup is out. Matthew Stafford's out. John Wolford isn't very good. You know, just just give me the just give me the Saints. Not because the Saints are very good. It's more of the Rams are very bad at the moment. Them not having Cooper Cup or Matthew Stafford will probably make their offense completely incompetent. Because their backups for those guys are not good at all. And that offensive line sucks. They don't have a running game to rely on. They're not going to be able to do anything offensively. And that's why I'm going with the Saints. Because the Rams offense might have the worst performance out of any offense this year. Or at least this week. And it will be one of the worst of the year. Jets have Patriots. Give me the Patriots. And it's for the same reason as I said last time the Patriots beat the Jets. Young quarterback versus Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick wins that nine times out of ten. Zach Wilson is going to make a lot of the mistakes he made last time they played. But if they can run the ball over the Patriots, that's going to change it a lot. But I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball well enough. I think whatever they call Zach Wilson's number, bad things are going to happen. That's why I'm going to the Patriots. I hope he proves me wrong, though. Eagles at Colts. This one's easily Eagles for me. I'm sorry easily give me the Eagles. Listen, I get it. You guys want to hype up Jeff Saturday, but he I still don't have confidence in him. Jonathan Taylor might have a good game because the Eagles' run defense hasn't been very good. I don't think that Wendell Joseph is going to fix that. I don't think anyone is going to fix it until Jordan Davis comes back. Okay? So even though the Colts might have a good game running the ball – I'm still going the Eagles, man. I I still have to. They're not going to lose a game against the Commanders and then follow it up with a loss to the Colts, led by Jeff Saturday. It isn't happening. Give me the Eagles. And if they do lose to the Colts, that's when Eagles fans should panic. So then give me the Commanders against the Texans. The Commanders had a good week last week. Terry McLaurin reminded everyone just how damn good he is. That was another thing I was thinking about putting as my takeaway that Terry McLaurin remains the most underrated receiver in the NFL. I don't think the Texans are going to be able to stop Terry McLaurin. I don't. Even Derek Stingley, I don't think is going to be able to stop McLaurin. And even if they do, then that means Curtis Samuel is going to have a good game. That Washington defense isn't too bad, and Houston kind of just sucks, okay? There's some bright spots that I can point out on Washington. There's not any I can point out on the Texans. Last week was a huge win for Washington. I think they carry that momentum into this week and cream a bad Texans team. Raiders at Broncos. A matchup between two terrible first-year coaches, both of which are going to get fired by the end of this year. Give me the Broncos. In a horrible game, give me the Broncos. That's because the Broncos' defense is the only good part of either of these two teams. Even without Bradley Chubb, this Broncos' defense is no joke. Patrick Sertain is going to absolutely lock up Devontae Adams, okay? And because they don't have a Darren Waller, they don't have Hunter Renfro, Derek Carr is going to have no idea what to do, okay? They're going to struggle to run the ball because this Broncos run defense is very good, and their pass defense is also scary. It's going to be like a 13-7 to 7 win for the Broncos here. It's going to be two offenses that can't do jack shit. The Broncos offense is just going to repeatedly shoot themselves in the foot, and the Broncos defense is going to cream a weak Raiders offense. Give me the Broncos because I like that defense more than I like any part of the Raiders. Bengals versus Steelers. I could see an upset here. I really can see Pittsburgh winning this. I really can, and I really want to see it. This is another game I'm putting on upset watch, but I'm going to go Bengals. The Steelers secondary sucks, and they don't have Minka Fitzpatrick. I know Jamar Chase is out, but T. Higgins is still a very good player. Joe Mixon is talented. I think T.J. Watt's going to get a couple of sacks here. I think he gets three sacks probably. But I still don't think that's enough. The Steelers' offense is so bad, the Bengals could win this game if they get more than 23. Okay, and I think they're going to be able to do that against a weak Steelers' secondary, especially when the offense gives them that many opportunities with good field position, which I think they will have. Cowboys at Vikings. This is this is a good game, okay? But it depends on what Dak Prescott we get, right? If we get the same Dak Prescott from last week, give me the Vikings all day, every day. But if we get the Dak Prescott we're used to, this game becomes a lot more tough, a lot more tough. The problem is, the game script for this game, no matter what, is going to be very close. Okay? And the problem with that is that the Vikings win close games all the time. That's how they've been winning all the games this year. Right? So let's say they got the Dak Prescott from last week then the Vikings just run away with the lead, kind of. Or they just continuously shoot themselves until the fourth quarter and they finally decide to take the lead and run away with it then. Or we get the Dak Prescott we're used to, which I think we will, and Cowboys score, you know, three times in the first three quarters. Vikings only score once because the Cowboys' defense is really good. But then the problem is in that fourth quarter, Kirk Cousins is going to play like an absolute menace because, again, that's what they've been doing all year. But then there's also this possibility. The Vikings fall behind And then they don't come back. I know it's unlikely, but eventually, at some point this year, the Vikings are going to be at a deficit in the fourth quarter, and they won't be able to come back. It's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. Is this a week? I don't think so. There's also another possibility. The Vikings don't shoot themselves in the foot. And just run away with the lead. The way I, there's so many different possibilities here, and only one of them results in a Cowboys win. So although I think this game will be close, I gotta pick the Vikings because every way I picture this game happening, the Vikings come out on top almost every way. The only way that I see the Vikings losing is that they get too confident in their ability to come back in the fourth quarter. But after how bad of a fourth quarter the Cowboys played last week, I don't think this will be the week that happens. Give me the Vikings. I I think it's going to be a close game, but I think the Cowboys are bound to lose. Bound to lose. So now let's move on to the Chiefs game against the Chargers. I think the Chiefs easily win this one, right? In L.A., I know. But the Chargers didn't look too good last week. The Chargers offense overall has been very vanilla. It's allowed Herbert to put up efficient numbers, but the repeated curls and in-breaking routes are the very... Very conservative stuff that the Chargers have been doing offensively. I mean, again, they've been efficient. And it looks good on the stat sheet. But you have a quarterback in Justin Herbert that even with the rib injury, it's easy to imagine he could still fling the ball and put it in a perfect spot deep down the field. Why the hell are you not using that? At least trying to use it. I haven't seen the Chargers try and take a deep shot down the field in way too long. Way too long. That should be something they do. At least once a quarter. Unless they're up. And I know that they are missing receivers, but it's one of Herbert's biggest strengths. They got to use it. The Chargers find themselves kicking field goals a lot. Not enough touchdowns. And Eckler really is the only competent offensive weapon they got. Because of that, I have no idea how they're going to keep up with an amazing, nearly unstoppable Kansas City offense. Not to mention how much trouble the Chargers defense is going to have stopping the, chart, the Chiefs' offense. Now, the last game I want to talk about, and the last thing I want to talk about, is the 49ers game against the Cardinals. This is where I have an upset. I have the Cardinals winning this one. It's in Arizona. And I talked about it earlier, this receiver core that the Cardinals have, incredible, incredible. Even with Colt McCoy playing quarterback, I still think the Cardinals will win this game. If Kyler Murray's healthy, that's even more likely. The 49ers have injuries in their secondary. Jason Verrett's down. They have a lot of injuries there. They have Traveris Ward. And then after that, they have very little to work with. Very, very little. Because, like I said, Verrett's down. He's a veteran presence there. They like to put him in the game a bit. They're also missing Emmanuel Mosley. Which is another big loss. Right now their second cornerback after Traveris Ward is I'm gonna struggle to pronounce this. Diomomo Diomo Dor Diomodor Lenor. That's my attempt. Very poor attempt. But I'm really trying my best. And then the third cornerback is Samuel Warmack the third. Maybe you trust Trevarius Ward to win his matchup. But no shot in hell. The other two are going to stop Marquise Brown and Rondell Moore. No shot in hell. Even if Colt McCoy's throwing the ball, he proved he's good enough to get the ball to his open receivers. They're going to have loads of open receivers. The 49ers struggle to put the ball in the end zone when they get into the red zone. Okay? They won't be able to win this game if they continue to struggle in the red zone. I have the Cardinals here. I do. I have the upset in Arizona on primetime television. Anyway, that's all for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I hope that you all enjoyed. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL on TikTok. Or Instagram, no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter, at NoHuddleNFL, with an underscore. In case you guys can't tell, I'm incredibly sick. So that's why I kind of had to Rust this episode. But thank you guys for listening. Tune in again next week, where hopefully I'm next. I'm way more healthy.